0: Amount of violence, uh, how we should be offended, why would it that in the last minute they would portray this little snippet called Good Sorts portraying the kindness of some individual from New Zealand, it's really a profile of some individual around the country who's doing something kind and something good for their community, why would they do that I wonder? Well, for those of you who are joining us for uh, the first time, last week we began a journey in the book of Ruth, and we're spending the month of February journeying through the book of Ruth. And last week we heard in chapter one of Naomi and her profound loss. She left her homeland of Judah, Bethlehem. There was no food, there was famine. Uh, she left to go to Moab. Her husband died, her two sons died. Uh, There was this profound sense of loss, and out of that loss came this incredible bitterness. Naomi was left with this profound sense of bitterness. But chapter one ended with this word of hope that the harvest was about to begin. The barley harvest was beginning. Now, while chapter 1 had a rather large time frame, it covered 10 years uh, in chapter 1. Chapter 2, which you've just heard, basically the first 22 verses is just one day in the life of the harvesters. 23 covers a few extra weeks, but basically it's a very short time frame uh, in chapter 1. It moves from Naomi's house in Bethlehem. Uh, Goes out into the fields where the harvest is taking place and back into her house that same night. Last week we were introduced to Ruth, the central character from Moab, who represents basically you and I. That's what the author is really portraying in this story. Ruth is basically you and I. She is the foreigner. She is the one in great need. She is the one of poverty and she is the one in need of help today we are introduced to a figure of great standing who will transform ruth's life of poverty and exile and his name is boaz so if you've got a bible turn with me now to chapter 2 reading from verse 1 now naomi had a relative on her husband's side a man of standing from the clan of ali malik whose name was boaz and Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Ali Malik. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? Who does that young woman belong to? It's not really the phrase we use today, is it? It's not really politically correct for me to say if I looked at Ashling there, Who does Ashling belong to? Don't answer that, Carlos. We could ask the question, Who does Carlos belong to? Couldn't we? But this phrase describes the patriarchal culture that we're living in, and verse one makes that very, very clear. Society was structured around clans. It was structured around families, and they were patriarchal families. And the man that we are introduced to in these first few verses that define the clan that we are focusing on is, of course, Boaz. He's described as a man of standing, literally a powerful man. He is a rich man. He has this great mana, if you like, in his culture, a man of great standing. He is a landowner. Now, Ruth, the Moabite, and the author keeps reminding us for a very deliberate reason. She is the Moabite from Moab, if we didn't quite catch it. He's reinforcing the fact that she is a foreigner. She is an exile. Now Ruth the Moabite asks Naomi to go into the fields to pick up some leftover grain and the practice is called gleaning. Now this practice is defined under the Mosaic law. The right to glean is afforded to the poor, to the widow and to the foreigner. You can read about it in Deuteronomy. And Ruth fitted all of these criteria. She was poor, she was a widow, she was a foreigner. She had the right to go and glean in the field. So she went out, and as the author suggestively records, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Alimelech. Now, we could read that as a happy coincidence, or we could discern God's sovereign hand in placing Ruth in that particular field Boaz arrives into his field and the greeting he offers and receives the very greeting that you often received this morning from his workers is a formal blessing it reveals the faith of the man this man of standing Boaz was a man of faith the Lord be with you and the priestly blessing that comes back from his servants the Lord bless you he sees a stranger in his field and he asks the foreman, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. Now, it's worth saying here that the Moabites were a despised people. They were hated by the Israelites. And you can read why in Deuteronomy 23.3. Now this makes the response that Boaz is about to offer to Ruth all the more striking. They, as a people, the Moabites are forbidden from entering into the assembly of God's people. And so this response of Boaz is quite remarkable. She's not welcome in Israel according to the law. According to Mosaic law, yet here we find Boaz embracing her with a warmth and a generosity look at verse eight and nine so Boaz said to Ruth my daughter listen to me don't go and glean in another field don't go away from here stay here with the woman who work with me watch the field where the men are harvesting follow along after the woman I've told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you're thirsty go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled So this incredible favor that is bestowed, this warmth, this generosity that's bestowed on a foreigner, quite remarkable given the Deuteronomic law that said she was to be excluded. Boaz extends her favor. And Ruth's response is this beautiful example of someone who gets what it means to be touched by the grace of God. She humbles herself. And that's what happens when you encounter the grace of God. Look at verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? She's struggling to understand how this man of standing could embrace her and offer her such generosity. Why have I found such favor? favor she says but that's what grace does grace has the power to transform people on Friday Mary and I went off to celebrate her birthday we went to the movies see we've gone up from fish and chips to the movies this week and we went along and saw a, a very delightful movie called a day what's it called a day a beautiful day in the neighborhood it's Tom Hanks's latest and basically, it follows a real-life story of a guy called Fred Rogers, and he was a Presbyterian minister. Uh, he also had a children's program uh, that, that ran in America for many, many years, and he was one of the most kind people that you would encounter. But the story of the film traces a hard-bitten, angry and bitter, angry and bitter uh, journalist, and he goes to interview Fred Rogers. And this journalist is known for writing scathing reviews. He's sliced and diced people with his pen and he goes and meets this minister and he is undone by the kindness of Fred Rogers. He is undone by the grace that he has extended. If you get a chance to go and see it, you'll get a taste of kindness. Boaz has confirmed her ability to glean in the field, but more than that, he offers Ruth protection. No hand will be laid on her. And this is no insignificant thing. You can imagine a young woman, a young foreign woman, who comes into the field with maybe 20, 25 other male workers, and Boaz says not a hand will be laid on this woman. Not only that... He says, look, if you're thirsty, you go and drink from the jars of water that these men have provided. Boaz goes on to describe how he's heard of Ruth's loyalty. And in verse 12, he invokes the blessing of God upon her. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's a great picture Of what's going on for Ruth here, she has come under the wings of God's refuge. So the author is making it clear. What's going on here is God's providential hands. A beautiful image that is being portrayed. What we're hearing here is actually a revelation of the very character of God's. Ruth's response, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. You see, Ruth sees herself as being lower than even the servants. She knows her foreign status. She's not even a servant in Boaz's fields. It's reminiscent of Luke 15, the prodigal son, when he goes away and he squanders all that he's been given and he finds himself on the pig pen and he cries out and he knows that he's in a worse place. Even my father's servants back home are in a better place than I am here in this pig pen of despair. Well, Ruth knows she's lower than a servant and yet Boaz is welcoming her in, offering her protection, going beyond what the law says he must do verse 14 lunchtime arrives and there's a break where boaz kindness continues to shine he invites ruth to come over come over beside him come near he offers her bread and wine he instructs his men to pull out bundles of grain see she was scratching around in the dirt getting little bits little little single pieces of grain and here boaz says no no he instructs his servants to pull out full sheaths. So she's not just getting portions of grain, she's getting full sheaths of grain. The text records for us because of that gift of Boaz, she ends up gathering 13 kilograms of grain that day. More than she could have hoped for if she was scratching around in the dirt. She comes back with 13 kilograms of grain. The text records for us that this is the nature of God. For the person who humbles themselves as a servant, God pours out his favor. Now this word that Ruth uses three times, translated favor, is an important one. She use, it's used in verse two, in verse 10, and verse 13 to describe her experience of blessing. Translated favor here, it comes from the Hebrew word chen. And it's usually translated grace, but here translated favor. Sometimes pleasant, sometimes beauty. Remember Naomi's name. Literally means pleasant. Ruth begins this chapter hoping to find this grace this favor, look at verse two, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. She's hoping that she might experience this favor. When she does find it in the person of Boaz, she is almost overcome. How can this be true? This is almost too good to be true. She bowed down, she asked him why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me. And then in verse 13, once she has tasted this favor, once she experiences the grace of God, she longs that she will never lose it. Look at verse 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she says. And that's often our journey, isn't it? A similar journey perhaps for you. We yearn for God's favor, we hope that we might experience it and when we do experience it it is so sweet it is such a joyful experience we long that we would never never lose this favor this grace well night falls and Ruth returns to Bethlehem with her bounty she returns to her mother-in-law Naomi picking up in verse 19 her mother-in-law asked her where did you glean today where did you work blessed be the man who took notice of you Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one in whose place she has been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she says. The Lord bless him, Naomi says to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is a close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now verse 20 is basically a turning point in the book of Ruth. It's a transition point in the whole book. Naomi pronounces a blessing on Ruth, but notice the change in her heart. Remember back to the end of chapter one, she was so bitter. She was blaming God for everything that she had lost. She was blaming God for her bitterness, and now As she sees the grace that's been extended to her daughter-in-law, something in her heart has changed. Her attitude is, is so different now. She sees the favor and her own heart is transformed. And then we get to the heart of this book. When Naomi announces to Ruth that Boaz is one of our guardian redeemers. He's a guardian redeemer. Now, what does that mean? Well, to understand that, we really need to go back to Leviticus 25. A guardian redeemer is someone from your family, a male close relative, like a brother, perhaps an uncle, perhaps a cousin, who is legally responsible under Mosaic law to help you when you fall. So if you fall into hard times and you have to sell some of your lands, a guardian redeemer has a legal right to purchase that land back so that you get the land back. He also has the responsibility, if you fall into hard times, you have to sell yourself into slavery. The guardian redeemer is the one who will redeem you, literally buy you back from your slave owner and you are free again. That's his role, the guardian redeemer. If your husband dies, His brother, the guardian redeemer, will marry you to ensure the legacy of the same. The family name, the guardian redeemer, can even avenge death in your family, as we learn in Numbers 35. Now, I grew up in a family where I had five kinsmen redeemers. I had five elder brothers, and they didn't always know that they were my kinsmen redeemers, but I knew I knew that when I rocked up to Methven High School, I didn't have too many problems out on the fields because I had five older brothers. The problem was when I got into the classroom and I sat down and I said my name and the teacher would say, oh, you're a crosser, are you? Yeah, we know your type. I trust you're not like your brothers, Stuart. That's not quite what they said. The guardian redeemer has this responsibility of, redeeming a slave, of buying back land, of avenging a death, but supremely about ensuring that your legacy will continue. The name of the family continues. A brother, an uncle, or a cousin of the dead man must provide this role. Naomi states in verse 20, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now, there is some ambiguity in the Hebrew in this verse. This kindness that she refers to that is applied to both the living and the dead, meaning both Naomi and Ruth, but also her dead husband and dead sons, where is it coming from? Is it coming from Boaz, or is it coming from the Lord's hand himself? The NIV picks up the ambiguity very helpfully, I think. The kindness described To the living of the dead, is it from the Lord? Is it from Boaz? Is it from both? Kindness, chesed, translated loving kindness, mercy, or favor. It's demonstrated on this harvest day by Boaz and the protection and the water and the bread and wine and the sheaves of wheat. But Naomi's faith has been kindled and she can now see the hand of God. She can see God's favor she can see God's grace getting poured out into her extended family through her daughter-in-law. Something in her heart has begun to be awakened. What's the state of your heart this morning? What's the state of your heart this morning? Is it a heart that is in need of God's grace? Is it a heart that has been suffering from loss? Has it been stained by bitterness? The grace of God can transform the hardest of hearts. You see, if you have known loss, grief, and heartache, you may be tempted to follow the journey of Naomi. But Ruth is portrayed here for us, full of faith, willing to serve, humbles herself before God's grace, and her rich rewards from Boaz, is more than she needs. That's the character of God. Jesus Christ is our guardian redeemer. He is the one who avenges death, redeems the slave, and guarantees our legacy. Jesus Christ is the man of standing, the man of infinite power who can transform every hurting Hearts. Gordon MacDonald said the world can do almost everything as well or better than the church it can build houses the world can feed the hungry can write beautiful music can even heal the sick but there is one thing he says that the world cannot do it cannot minister grace it takes a new heart that's tasted the harvest of God's favor to forgive, to go beyond the law, to go beyond duty, to go beyond reward, to offer more than is deserved. Out of fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given, John 1.16. Have you tasted that grace this morning? In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey tells the parable of grace written by Karen Blixen of... Uh, out of Africa fame, it's called Babette's Feast. It tells the story of this very austere Lutheran minister of years gone by, and he forms this Christian community. It's a very austere community. He is a widower. He has two teenage daughters, one called Martine and one called Philippa. Martine is breathtaking in her beauty. Philippa has the voice of an angel A young soldier comes by and seeks to court Martine but she is so bound in her duty to her father she says, no, I will spurn this romance and I will stay with this community. Philippa is offered to have lessons in opera to learn to be one of the greatest opera singers. She says, no, I will apply my duty to my father's community and she will stay and that's what they do. 15 years passed. The old father, the minister dies. The sect continues, but it is a cold, formal place of a sect. There is little joy in this place. There is little grace in this place. And then one day there's a knock at the door, and a broken and desolate woman lies in a heap at the door. She cannot speak their language. There is a letter of introduction that says, this is Babette." she once could cook. The bed is taken into the community. She serves, she's less than a servant. She serves in that community, the, the gruel and the cod, the meager offerings that are offered. She serves there for 12 years. And then the two sisters who are grown older and colder as the years go by, they say, we must celebrate our father's birth. It is his 100th anniversary of their father's birth. We must celebrate. Around that same time, Babette received the first letter that she'd ever received while she was in this community, a letter from Paris. She opens the letter and she's advised that she has won 10,000 francs. A friend back in Paris had been buying her the lottery and she wins 10,000 francs. And she says to the two sisters, I've never asked you of one thing while I've been here, but this I would like to do. I would like to put on the feast for your father's anniversary. They grudgingly agree to it. So she begins the preparation. Babette begins the preparation. And within a couple of days of that celebration, boats start showing up at the little village. With exotic produce, there are hams, there are pheasants, there are champagne, there is wine, there is all sorts of truffles, and even a live tortoise shows up on the boats in preparation for the meal. December 15 and the village is covered in snow and the people arrive to celebrate this anniversary. But there's one guest that joins this rather fractured and cold and broken community, a guest who is a general in the French army. It's the same man who courted Martine all those years earlier. As they sit around to the sumptuous feast, there is quiet, there is silence except for the general he cannot believe the quality of this feast and he describes and he waxes lyrically about the beauty of the meal of the fresh wine of the champagne and he says could this even be soup turtle that we are drinking and they get to the main course and it's quail and he says there's only one place that I've tasted quail like this back at the supreme restaurant back in Paris at the end of the meal, all of the people begin to talk. Relationships have been healed over this meal. They go out into the snow and there is dancing and there is singing and there is joy again in the community. The two sisters go back to the kitchen and there Babette is collapsed amongst all the mess. They quietly thank her and then with a sad heart, they say, I guess you'll be heading back to Paris with all this money that you have. And Babette, quietly and exhaustedly, she says, the 10,000 francs, I spent it all on this meal. I will be staying to serve you. Yancey concludes the parable by saying, the gift that costs everything for the giver costs nothing for the recipient reveals the gospel of God's grace. The gospel of God's grace. Jesus came. to offer you life and life in all its abundance. Are you walking in that abundance today? Have you experienced the grace of God today? Jesus Christ is our guardian redeemer. He's the one who protects you. He's the one who redeems you, sets you free. He's the one who even avenges death. He is the one who guarantees your legacy, Jesus Christ, your guardian redeemer, is also the one who wants you to live life to the full. You live that life to the full by receiving his grace. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, as we journey through this book of Ruth, as we hear the echoes of that story of Boaz with our story, but ultimately with the story of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our guardian redeemer. What can we do but like Ruth, but say thank you. Thank you for your favor. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that you would minister your grace to your children. Lord, that we would live in the experience of this abundance, just as Ruth did all those years ago. Lord, give us hearts and minds and spirits that are open to receiving your grace today. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.